Inverse Genius Episode 28, Children of Time. In this episode, Giles Pichard and Donald Dennis talk about Children of Time, a millennium-spanning sci-fi story of uplift and civilization by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Hey, do you know you can go over to podpledge.com and search for Inverse Genius and you'll see our Podpledge page. All that money goes to help support the ongoing podcasting costs and we truly appreciate it. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me staggering all over the internet as Walsfio. Today, I'm thrilled to have once again one of my early co-conspirators on this show, Giles Pritchard. Hello. Uh, Great to be on, Don. Uh, Very exciting. Yeah. Remember back when we were doing all the uh, Marvel stuff on Netflix? I do. Yeah, yeah. We we sort of, uh, there are a few series since we stopped doing those. There are, but there's only one left, so, um, you know, I guess it it wasn't a long-term gig for them. That is true. It's just a thing. Well, uh, Giles, where can you be found on the internet? Uh, You can find me on my website, caradocpritchard.com. You can find me on Twitter at caradocp, and on BoardGameGeek as caradoc, if you're into that. And those of you who are just excited to hear more of Giles, we are... Uh, rebroadcasting all the lost episodes that uh, were originally published on Games for Educators website will are filtering into the games and schools and libraries uh, feed that we are post hosting over on Inverse Genius. So, you know, hooray! <laughs> Exciting to hear those again. Actually, it's been a while since I've been on Games for uh, Games in Schools and Libraries. So, right. Well, you know, I figured that they should be available somewhere and. Occasionally we hit a week where I don't have time to edit a full show, so I try and throw one of those in. Uh, so it helps me, and it gets it back out. So hooray! Whoop. All right, well, uh, we're going to talk about a book. You and I were like, hey, we need to talk about something because it's been a while since we've had a chance to do an Inverse Genius episode, and I think we went through a list of stuff, and we finally settled on a book you recently read, but I, they didn't have that yeah, for me I, to, to listen to, so... How long has it been since you have read Children of Time? I read Children of Time, I think, last year, uh, maybe okay. the year before. Um, but it's a book that I sort of, and I've, I've been back. So, Children of Time is a, a science fiction book by Adrian Tchaikovsky, and um, I read it I, maybe early last year. Um, but I know that I've recommended it to a lot of people, um, and I've since read a few other books by Adrian Tchaikovsky, and um, you know, we were talking about something to, to to discuss on the podcast, and I'd just not long finished uh, one of his recent books, Dogs of War, and absolutely loved it, um, and mentioned that to you. You went and had a look for it and couldn't find it, but you did find Children of Time. And, uh, I it's, did. It's a book, uh, as I said, that I read and, and also absolutely adored. So uh, let's let's discuss Children of Time. Well, before we get into our discussion about it, uh, uh, this is actually really good timing because there's a second book coming out, like in May. Yeah, yeah, Children of Ruin. So that'll be exciting to see. Now, uh, what is Children of Time? Give us a non-spoilery summary of Children of Time as best you can, you know, in big, broad strokes. Um, it's it's really two stories um, that 
in mesh uh, as the as the story as the as the book winds towards its end towards the climax. Um, one portion of that story, one half of that story, follows uh, humanity. The last, you know, one of the last, as far as we're aware, um, groups of humanity uh, in a in a generation ship traveling through the void of space, uh, heading towards um, a final destination planet where they can hopefully set up and, and proliferate and um, make a new home after some form of destruction wrought havoc on Earth. Um, and the other story is the story of the species that inhabit the planet that they're heading towards, and it's an uplift story. It's a story about uh, this virus that was sent down to the planetary surface um, and didn't take off in the way it was meant to, um, but instead found a home in uh, various species of, of arthropods on the planet and most um, significantly in the jumping spiders that, that had been planted there by humanity as they were seeding this planet um, for habitation prior to the arrival of the generation ship. And so this story follows generations of this, uh, this ju- these jumping spiders, the Porsche, uh, jumping spider, um, as they, you know, from a, from a humble beginning, sort of that uh, attainment of consciousness all the way through to a nascent civilization, through to a full blown civilization, and um, naturally, as we progress, the two worlds collide. Hmm, yep. Uh, so. That was a little bit spoilery, um, but but not too bad. Not too bad, actually. You get all of that um, in the first couple of chapters, uh, or at least a hint at what, what what all of you said there. So, I guess we can dive into it now. I have a problem with this book, and I okay. So I gotta say, I liked it. I thought it was worth doing an episode on. Um, there was a lot to it that was pretty amazing. But my problem, the, the difficulty that I had with Children of Time was, I don't think I liked any of the characters, at least none of the human characters. Yeah, um, I think, you know, when I, when I originally read this, I wrote a, a review of the book on my uh, then blog, Castle by Moonlight, um, and... I did note that towards the end, I think I said something along the lines of that I hoped the cold void of space would... Um, the cold void of space would, would quell or stutter the guttering candle of humanity. Um, yeah, they, they are certainly dislikable, but I think that that's, I, I think that there's a deliberate juxtaposition between the spiders and this, 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 this uplift story. And, and the uplift story is always one of that reaching for potentials, that hope, that growth, that evolution. And then you've got humanity, which just, doesn't learn, you know, at, at any stage. You know, the, the disaster that befell Earth was was man-made or wrought by humanity. Um, all of these problems that the humans face as they as they are trying desperately to survive on this generation ship that's slowly breaking down the Gilgamesh. You know, the um, aptly named. Yeah, I, I- I guess we do have to say we are getting heavy into spoilers at this point. So if you don't want spoilers, bail now because... I I don't uh, want to go into spoiler territory, but I think that juxtaposition is really important that, you know, we've got on one hand, we've got this this 
this race that embodies, you know, almost that hope, that yearning for potential. And then you've got this, on the other hand, you've got humanity and, and what that represents within the story almost to me was about that, that failure to learn from its own mistakes continually again and again, falling back into negative patterns of behavior. Um, you know, and, and if, if we like our science fiction to commentate on, you know, the nature of our species, if we like our science fiction to commentate on the potentials that the future holds, then that juxtaposition is a really important one. I think that that is a really important sort of concept because, you know, we're moving into that territory, aren't we, as a species where, you know, we can learn from the mistakes of the past and we can make adjustments and we can change and, you know, or we don't. And maybe the future isn't so bright if we don't. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I think you're absolutely right. It, it is a story about change. It's a story about trying to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> um, no one, I mean, very few of the humans ever seem to do that. But who is the one that does? Um,. I would say it's the uh, the classicist. The historian, um, of course. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You know, that's the... Right. Though the engineer also, um, his his love... And here's the problem. is Since I... I mean, I, I listened to this whole book, so maybe if I'd have read it, it would be different. But I cannot remember the names of any of the characters... Except for what the first lady his name is Kern, who you first hear and you first meet, and I find her to be repulsive from the moment you meet her. Yes, um, yeah, she at the very beginning. Yeah, and she plays an important role, but it's more I think that high concept role in the story um, than as a as an important character, doesn't she? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Um, let's let's dig in, I guess, a little deeper then. Uh, now, this for sci-fi, right? This is definitely science fiction. Um, it hits a lot of of your your science fiction, your true high concept science fiction elements, right? You've got an alien species of sorts, even though it's not an alien species. Yeah, well, that's the story of uplift, which is again that you know classic sort of genre thing. I, oh, I tell you what, you know, Uplift is one of those great uh, things. And when they named the ship the Bren uh, that that all this started off on, I was like, okay, I know David Bren. I have <laughs> read his stuff before. And if they hadn't, if Adrian hadn't used that as the name of the ship and the stuff, I would have said, oh, okay, they're just stealing from the greats. And now, because they nodded at, you know, Bren and Uplift stuff, even though they call it Exalt in this, um, it feels more like homage instead of instead of just stealing, right? Yeah, pointing people in that direction. Um, so, what other are there other science fiction series and stuff that you know that have used the uplift stuff extensively? I know that the you know um, David Brin stories are classic, aren't they? In terms of the the uplift motifs, I think that's where we get the term from, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, the uplift war. Yeah, and I know. And the, prim- prim- the premise in that was that humanity, um, who's now part of a galactic civilization, um, uplifted dolphins and chimpanzees before they contacted the galactic c- uh, civilization, which made them a patron race and gave them status high above where they would normally be because the typical way that 
civilization and intelligence or sentience as they call it uh, is past is that one of the patron races finds a race that is subsentient and uplifts them to where they're they're then exalted enough to be part of galactic civilization but humans did it uh, all on our own because we are such special little monkeys yeah, and the in in Children of Time, the species that was was um, intended to be uplifted or exalted through the the retrovirus or whatever it was, um, I can't remember off the top of my head now. That that were were chimpanzees, but the the ship that was carrying them crashed. Right. Yeah, there was a a bunch of apes or chimps or primates of some sort. We don't know exactly. Don't know what they were, or I don't remember, but. Yeah, that failed failed at launch for reasons, and actually, it's and that was all tied back to the whole uh, war that was going on in and around all of human space at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so and and again, you know that the disaster that befell um, humanity sort of is hinted at. It's not it's not etched out in detail, and I think that's where the book Children of Ruin, which I believe is a prequel. Um, will go into much more detail, I think. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, that whole destructive nature of of, um, of humanity, you know, the capacity we have to hamstring ourselves at the last minute, I think, is you know one of those things that the story sort of discusses in um, in detail. Right. They spell it out enough that you don't feel like there's any huge lack of information. You're just like, oh, okay, I understand you know, what the motives of the people who were fighting were, whether or not you agreed with them. And I understand sort of why civilization collapses as a whole, but they don't get dirty into the details. You don't feel like there's this whole, whole third storyline that you're getting in the book. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it is the backdrop for the, the humans. And in that sense, it, you know, it's hinted at and it influences, it influences pretty well everything that, that, you know that the humans have to deal with but you know you don't that it's not doesn't need to be detailed um significantly because yeah it's just the lived truth for the the people in the book it serves as a as a as a narrative jumping off point for them right and so uh the the book has this huge feeling of post-apocalypse even though it starts before the apocalypse uh it carries on through. You mentioned that the uh, the ship, the Gilgamesh, is a generation ship. It wasn't designed to be that. It was designed to be a sleeper ship yeah. so that people wouldn't be living on it. But by the end of the book, uh, enough of them have woken up and are staying awake to deal with other problems caused by idiots and malcontents that it becomes a generation ship. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that's another fascinating part is when that, that, you know, that transition occurs because you have that one, you know, a person on the ship who believes that they're the the visionary that that is intended to bring humanity to their final destination um, and the lengths that they go to to ensure that that's the case um, and the lengths to which that blinds them to other possibilities. Um, and within that, you, as the, as the, as the ship becomes that more generational ship and you have, you know, other characters that are in and out of, um, sleep and so on, um, you also have that rise of tribalism, that, that rise of factionalism, um, on the ship as well. And that too is, is a story of humanity as well. 
which I think is, this is sort of where the book shines and it is showing two different, you know, two or more different visions of what society can be because, you know, you have the humans who obviously they all bound together in common cause when it seemed like there was this immediate threat and it was like, well, we don't really have these choices. We have to trust that our superiors know what they're doing. And then more and more as it spins out of control and you realize, wait, our superiors are idiots or our superiors are not always idiots, but they, they're blinded uh, for whatever reason. And then you, and, and the human pretense of it's sort of our way or the highway. It's, it's high conflict, high stakes. There's a winner and then there's a permanent loser. And then you have the spiders and it shows them working more along the way of you know, co-opting of bringing people into line of figuring out ways to coexist, which yeah. doesn't sound like spiders to me, but I guess maybe it is. I have no idea. Uh, it's I don't know. It was a concept of absorption, and it's kind of explained throughout the uplift process of the of the Porsche um, spiders. So the, the the spiders that end up being um, exalted are. Um, jumping spiders, Porsche. I can't remember the the, the scientific name, or the the end of the scientific name, but it's certainly Porsche something. Um, and they are quite intelligent spiders. You know, they they lure their prey. They can work in teams and things like that. Um, and the 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 story charts them from it, their humble beginnings of of doing just that to being able to coordinate in much greater detail. The circumstances on their planet. Uh, lead them to first of all dominate other species um, and and manipulate and dominate other species on the planet and then I think a greater awareness of um, the need to to value the contributions that each uh, different members of their society make to the the species is is brought about by their own almost impending doom at one stage and, and that becomes a transitional point for the species where they become much more about absorption and, than they do about domination and and maybe that you know is a you know is a, it charts the story of the spiders a little yeah I found your old blog article oh August 2017. Oh, there you go. Wow. Longer uh, ago than I thought. So, yeah. And there's a beautiful, there's a little cute spider there. <laughs> if I'd known that it was, uh, of course, we've had a discussion about spiders on at least one of the Inverse Genius shows before, if not yeah. one of the actual Inverse Genius podcast episodes. Um, you know, if they were all as adorable as that one, then, well... I don't know. I still would get the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a that's a funny thing, isn't it? And the choice of spiders, you know, as 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 the um, as the protagonist, that as readers we sort of empathise with most, um, is an interesting one. You know, I know right. Adrian Adrian Tchaikovsky has a history of writing about insects, um, you know, in a massive way, um, and so you know that that comes through a lot of his books. Um, but yeah, it's, are all of his characters so tough to connect with, or is it just this story and the way he's telling the story? 
Uh, I think it's this story particularly. Um, a lot of the other books that I've read, you know, he wrote a very um, large uh, fantasy um, series um, where each of the different races were, you know, had, you know, beetle kin and, and ant kin and, and things like that. And, um, you know, that again was was very significantly influ- influenced by um by you know his knowledge and love of etymology entomology sorry and uh, not etymology that's a wholly different thing <laughs> a different word entirely different word entirely but the you know and you know that is a is a typical fantasy story you know the protagonists are characters that you fall in love with and you know that you want to see succeed you know the other books that he's he's read I think, you know, what's interesting, I think, about um, Children of Time is that we we are put in that position as readers. You know, obviously the natural inclination is to identify with the, with the humans, um, but yet we're put in a position where we as readers empathise with, at least this is my experience, um, and want to see successful the the alien species. Um, the, there are portions within the humans that that you know that that we are rooting for as well, like the the classicist, the historian. Um, you know, is is that character? I think, um, and and there are portions of of the, the the people, but as a whole, you know, the behaviour of the humans in. Children of Time is is very very typically human, um, but ju- in in that juxtaposition against the spiders and what what is going on for them, you know we're we're put in a position where our empathies side I think more with the spiders than they do with the humans, and that that to me was an interesting choice um, for the story, but it just it really worked and it made I think that whole message in the story that. Just, just give a deeper sort of sense of meaning to the story, and a uh, you know that, that 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 was something that I really felt resonated. What I thought interesting, particularly, was that you know you can feel that Adrian wants to write alien, right? He wants to write non-human perspectives, but by choosing spiders or other insect, you know, other creatures that are close to what we know on Earth. He's giving us a lot of shorthand to hang off of because he can talk about ooh spiders and how they weave the webs and how they fidget with it, you know, spinning, you know, unspinning, spinning, unspinning, whatever it is, you know, working in 3D space. These are all references that we sort of have a framework that we understand, like who hasn't turned into a ninja while walking between two posts in the evening and not seeing the spider web, you know, because <laughs> they have created this giant spider construct that no way would you think, oh, a little creature this small would be able to make that big of a, of a thing? You know, we have seen the creation and we've seen their artifacts and we've encountered spiders and either we've thought they were cool or we've been skeeved out by them or we've had friends bitten by it, whatever it is, that a lot of baggage is shifted just by having us use something that is semi-familiar but showing us how their perspective is so alien. Yeah, that's right, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's, as I said, I think it's not so much about the the aliens, so to speak, or the, the spiders in this, but about the way that the two the two civilizations, the civilization of Portia and, and her spider compatriots and the, the civilization of um, humanity, the way that they're sort of 
positioned against each other and, and the themes and the their problem-solving methodologies, their attitudes, their, you know, what they hope for, what they dream for, how they uh, intend to go about attaining those things, that whole, you know, those whole things, the way the two are juxtaposed, I think, is where, you know, the, the strength and the, the, the message um, of the story, you know, sort of that that's where that is all held. Right. And you've got the two different vectors. You've got the spider civilization you start with the hey, there's not a spider civilization. There is one smart spider, and then there are, you know, starts working with another spider, and eventually you get a civilization uh, after generations and generations and generations. And then, on the other hand, you have the, uh, you know, Lord of the Flies style decomposition of a civilization on the human side. Yeah, is, it's the descent, yeah. isn't it? It's from this ordered ship through to this factionalized, tribalized, um, you know, group of people, uh, you know, desperate to survive. You know, there's that messianic complex of the 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 captain of the ship. You know, is is he's slowly degrading, and uh, you know, all the rest of it. And yeah, it, it's 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 a really interesting. Um, yeah, it's just I think those two stories position one against the other is 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 what makes the the book really really interesting. Right, but and it's also on the contrary, the sort of the counterpoint to that is I mean yes I find that very interesting. What makes it tougher for me to connect with absolutely is the fact that you're not dealing with one spider over the course, even though they can digest each other's understanding or inherit it from their parents. Uh, it's instead you're following a family line, right? Yeah, it's and a lineage. Yeah, it's it's you know something that would appeal to me based on my other gaming ha- hobbies. You know, with Pendragon and, and and other games that I like to play, I, I think that's a really cool element, a neat story element. It's it's sort of disconnecting. And then on the human side, you have the guy keeps going into deep frozen sleep, and every time he wakes up, he has this readjustment period where he's trying to figure out what's going on. And the way he has learned to cope with that is poor at best. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got both sides of the story are completely disjointed. They are, and, yeah. Well, that's a big hurdle to overcome, I think, as an author. Uh, how, how did you feel that that impacted your enjoyment of the story? Do you think that it, that it did, or do you think that it was a, an interesting device to use? Or I, I it, it hurt my enjoyment of the story a bit. I... I think that if I was more interested in the in the actual character, you know, in the classicist or in in the chief of engineering lane or whatever her name was, um, and I, I don't, I've, obviously we haven't even mentioned the classicist name because it's been that long for Giles and that uninteresting to me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that maybe maybe it would have added that tension that he was going for, and I thought that that was pretty neat. I really like the sort of you were able to get snapshots of different decades. It was like looking in, you know, on American politics a decade at a time or, you know, 20 years at a time, saying, oh, my gosh, we've changed this way, we've changed that way. And so, but in this case, it's over hundreds or thousands of years where, you know, you go into deep sleep or you've evolved that many generations which is, it's kind of like watching a stop motion movie, but only seeing, you know, every 30th frame. 
Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's very, um, you know, both. So for the spiders, you know, the story takes place. You know, we, we get we get snapshots of their story um, rather than one continuous story. And the snapshots, each snapshot, you know, might skip, you know, several generations, might skip, you know, an untold number of generations, you know, a hundred or a thousand, who knows. Um, but in each of those, there's there, there are identifiable characteristics which carry through each generation and those are passed on through the you know the the way in which spiders these spiders pass on their 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 memories um and their genetic heritage you know their their genetic heritage to to their to their children and so forth um that felt a bit gimmicky to me it felt like oh the author needed a way to do a thing and so he shoehorned that particular element into the story yeah yeah i i I can see that it didn't feel that way to me i i I just i thought it was a a neat narrative device and and i think that you know it's certainly that that um was a very sort of alien thing of being able to pass on not just encoded genetic information but also you know memories and things like that Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was was a was a you know is is what made the species identifiable over the course of those generations, and it was it was interesting and 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 alien and and um, all of those things. So I didn't it didn't really bother me too much. Right. Well, the, when they used it, uh, so when the spiders were doing their cross country trip and they were trading memories or trading understanding versus just trading knowledge, then it felt it felt a lot more real there. And I think that that's one of the things that Adrian did pretty darn well is saying, oh, we've got this thing and I have this hole and I have this thing I need to sort of use to spackle and cover stuff up. Eventually, he did a great job at sort of going through and explaining it and making it more personal, making it more relevant to the story and feeling less gimmicky. You know, that I thought was pretty well done. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. This is sort of how their society exists now. As opposed to, oh, look, I can just inherit understanding and memories from my future past selves. So that, uh, I guess, past selves, not future selves. Yeah, it becomes, it's, yeah. It, it becomes, it's not just a narrative device. He also explores the concept that, you know, if this, is the, if this is a form of technology that the spiders have, what impact does it have on their society? Um, you know, and the impact that has on their society is, is, is fundamental. Uh, and that's that's one of yeah that's another thing is that everything he discovers or, or talks about, you sort of feel the society building around it. It's like ooh, scent is a huge deal, and here's how they do it, or pheromones, or how we're controlling the ants. And so, what can we get the ants to do? How can we make them dance and uh, or smelt metal or do all of these things? And all of that builds, I think, a, a society that you go, okay, I I may not have bought in when you first mentioned this thing or I may not have seen where it's going but he extrapolates in an amazing way that makes you go oh that's a thing okay I I like to see where this is going and it really gets you interested in seeing what's going to happen next which sort of pulled me past the what felt like a fairly disjointed uh, perspective yeah and and that it's the same you know the same uh as you said disjointed nature of you know the narrative occurs with the humans as well and that's because our point of view characters with the humans is a person who goes in and out of um goes in and out of sleep 
Um, and by sleep, we mean deep sleep pods, which I may have mentioned, but it's that cr- yeah, you're, you're out of yeah. it for several hundred years or whatever. Yeah, well, you know, he's, I think, you know, it says, you know, it's several thousand years from home, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, that whole, that whole, because he's the point of view character for our experience of the, the human portion of the narrative, it, it is disjointed but he is the 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 factor that is um that carries through all of them and so it's his perception and his uh, observation and his experience of it um that you know drives our experience of what is happening as as humanity on this is the ship itself is is you know slowly falling apart and as humanity on board this ship is slowly um, degrading and regressing and, and, and falling apart as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what else did they hit on some of the themes that we might see in Children of Time? Um, I, you know, I, as I said, I think for me the biggest, the biggest themes um, were to be found in the way the two, the two species were positioned against each other, the, the slow say devolution the degradation um of of human society from you know a unified group to a tribalistic sort of um you know breakdown of of society through the spiders mm-hmm. which was very much the opposite story where it is the individual right. to tribes to you know that unified civilization um, you know, I, I think that to me was, was one of the most interesting sort of motifs in the story. Um, so I'm looking at the theme section here on our, yeah. on our outline. Um, it's like, yeah, that's okay. So certainly what we've talked about that. So looking at some of the other stuff mm-hmm. that's, that's big in the book, um, you know, gender bias is a huge element of the book. And in this case, the humans have less of a gender bias. It's, it doesn't really seem to matter you know, guy, girl. Now the only romantic relationship is a hetero relationship, at least as far as I can see in the story. But the spiders are a a female dominant society and it's an excellent way to sort of highlight uh, problems that we might have with our male dominated society. Uh, And it gets to be much more violent, much more, you know, after the guys meet with the female spiders by which I mean the guy spiders mate with the female spiders, they die, right? They are devoured by the female spiders because they've given all they have to give really. Right. Yeah. Who needs a guy except for, for its DNA. Um, and then it shows sort of the whole male spider liberation as another, one of the themes, which is sort of one of those stories that if, if you think that, you know, women's lib doesn't need to exist, uh, this is a great way to look at and say, well, you know, uh, maybe we don't go around killing women after we have sex with them, but still this is shining a spotlight on a lot of bad behavior uh, that that could be that could be course corrected. 
Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that really is too. You're right. You know, you've got the spider civilization and, and, and one of the marks of its growth is that, that it is female dominated and, and the males are, you know, uh, regarded as worthless up until the point where one of the, you know, the leading, uh, you know, f- female lineages, Porsche, um, I believe it is who, who notices mm-hmm. a male that, you know, is able to come up with solutions to problems that they're facing and has a, a contribution to make to society which opens her eyes and, and he is very motivated to see the emancipation and, so to speak, of the male portion of the species and that that whole flipping of the paradigm um, compared to, you know, our own society, I suppose. Um, or in terms of you know patriarchal, our own patriarchal yeah. sort of society, is is really interesting. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, that was that was good. So I, and it, it felt you know at times it was heavy handed, but most of the time it was like okay, this makes complete sense within the characters or within the world, and it was just more of a all right, yes, I get the point. I want to see the story progress, but we got there in the end. And so that was pretty good. Um, I think that whole it's a whole part of it too, though, isn't it? I mean, that's you know that this is I think that that idea is that this the story of of uplift or of exaltation is that story of going from you know the individual individual needs, you know the the core survival instincts, you know eat, mate, you know fight survive through to mm-hmm. you know doing that as a group doing it together the forming of factions and tribes and the formation of early society of complex society of, of unification um and that whole concept of you know that sort of together we are stronger than we are apart and mm-hmm. you know that's and that's a part of that isn't it that whole rec- you know that whole acceptance of, of all the genders within the society that the acceptance of um the, the the, the leading class of, of spiders being able to recognize you know their own what the errors of their own ways so to speak um, right. and use that as an introspective moment from which to grow rather than a reactive moment from which to repeat the mistakes of the past and humanity follows the opposite path they go from a unified group to slowly degrade over the course of the of the story as more and more things go wrong and and people start you know we should be doing this we should be doing this we should have done this and that whole splintering of unification through to factionalization and tribalism which becomes very dominant when we have the ship transitioning into a generation ship and there are people living on board and generations of people being brought up on board and children growing up on board and those children being able to be influenced and manipulated by the people that have been there from the beginning, do you know what I mean? And their concepts and ideals and so forth. Uh, that- so many so many things to talk about, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, now, it occurs to me that basically... This is a horror story, a Lovecraftian horror story, where the humans are the you know decadent, fallen, you know, Innsmouth folk or whatever it is, <laughs> and and the spiders are trying to come to terms with it. But you know, a lot of what you just said sort of triggered of both sides have to deal with one issue, and they deal with it in, in a different way, and that is the sins of the father, right, or the sins of your progenitors. It's like the Folks on the gill, 
or the Gilgamesh who are on out looking for new planets to inhabit because Earth is uninhabitable. They're having to deal with the Empire or whatever it's called and move things along. And they're having to, you know, it's like, oh, there's no planet for us. So we had to go to space. And oh my gosh, we get to this new civilization or new place where there's a beautiful planet, lush planet that we want to go land on. And there's something there from the Empire that's trying to stop us and so forth and so on. And then the spiders, the new generation, the the next, the more understanding, the what have you, which is sort of internet culture. I mean, nothing is ever forgotten on the internet, right? Mm. And so there's genes that the spiders have that carry understanding through from one generation to the next is another metaphor for the web, the World Wide Web. Hey, spiders, it all goes together. Uh, and then, <laughs> but... The way that they're suggesting that you deal with things is, you know, hey, we can drive them into the sea, we can wipe it out, we can have our, our little spider wars and make this happen, or we can figure out a new way to deal with things. Let's figure out how to deal with our parents or the people who created us in a way that is not how someone from, you know, not the way our grandparents are telling to deal with them, telling us to deal with them. And so they're dealing with their history in a completely different way, dealing with the sins of their fathers because they were created by these people who are now hostile to spiders. Because if you didn't know better, would you be, um, you know, a big friend of spiders who were coming at you with weapons? Probably not. Absolutely not. No. And, you know, I think that that. You know that's quite true, and and I, you know, the other the other aspect that you know is very spoilerish um, as well is that whole treatment of um, Kern, the Doctor, who sort of triggered this whole you know uplift um, experiment on this planet. And, I hate her. Yeah, I hate her so much. Yeah, absolutely. And but you know she is the deity for the spiders. Um, you know, and and at, and at one point. You know they must face their maker, and they do. Um, and and then they're forced to face their makers again. Um, and the 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 choices that they make around that are quite are quite interesting as well. And the fact that Kern can't see, or what's left of Kern's brain inside a computer, can't see that this branch of humanity who's coming out to them is not the people that she. Uh, that put her experiment down that destroyed humanity. They are the people who are having to deal with all the nonsense that her generation created. It's another sense of the father's story, but from the other perspective, it's like, she just cannot understand her brain. Don't work that way. Yeah. It's almost the, you know, that, that story of the mad scientist, isn't it? You know, that in the lab, you know, that the experiment becomes, you know, more important than, than, uh, anything else around them, you know? Um, oh, but, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one. I, You know, I, I felt her story was interesting, particularly from the perspective of the, the spiders who had deified her and then mm. their search to meet their god um, and the implications of that discovery, you know, imagine, you know, we go to, we go to seek God and we find out that God is this alien that has uplifted our species, you know, that, that whole impact that sort of reverberates through the society is an interesting one as well. Or better yet, that your God has imbued part of himself into a rock 
and that rock is now trying to communicate with us. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and still pretending to be our god. Yeah, that's... Uh, and, and when you get to the part where she has to come to the realization that her monkeys died and that these are spiders and that they are the inheritors, I expected a little more from that scene or just, just from that setup there. But it, I mean, it did, it all worked, but I was like, Hmm, I expected there to be more of a meltdown. I really kind of expected the, the wanderer or whatever they call it, the messenger to just explode. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I suppose I don't remember that in detail, um, to be honest, but I think that whole initial story of Kern and, and things like that is sort of a is the is the the opening scroll that gets us to the story, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean at the end when or I guess Oh when she one yeah, of the yeah, first yeah. innings when she when she sees, oh, these are all evolved spiders um, and they are the inheritors of my thing, I expected her to to have, you know, at least a couple of chapters more of I can't believe this. I hate them. They're spiders. I'm like, oh, okay, they're mine. But it, it, it sort of feels like, um, hmm, how can I put this without getting too particularly? That it's like, oh, I have elected this person. Um, and even though I hate everything that the person stands for, it's the person I elected, so I love them. Is sort of like, oh, I wanted smart monkeys and I got smart spiders. You know, but because they're my spiders, I love them. Even though they're not what I wanted. She's been communicating with them for, you know, generations. Um, I guess that's true. You know, and, you know, it's her experiment, you know, and it's this concept of her experiment has worked, you know, that there's that, but then there's also the horror that, well, hang on, it worked, but it didn't work in the way I expected it to. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I'd have to I'd have to reread that to 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 think more on that one. And and I, I think it's fine the way it was, the way it came out. I just expected there to be a little more drama because yeah. Kern is nothing if not drama filled. Yeah, and she's b- barely, um, you know, she's a, a shard of herself. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got that. You've got the ticking clock of the, hey, the humans are all, they really have to settle on this place or they're going to die. And I thought that uh, it really felt like, to me, that originally it was just they get there and then they have to deal with all this stuff. But then maybe the the line editor said, hey, we need an extra third of a book. And so they went elsewhere and came back. I don't know what it is. If, I don't know. I th- it's it's like it went from a novella to, hey, we need this to be part of a series. Well, I think the initial, you know, that, that whole initial encounter between the two species happened early in, earlier in both their histories. Mm-hmm. Um, humanity had not yet begun to fall apart, and this was the triggering point too became a triggering point yes. for the collapse of human society on the Gilgamesh. The spiders, you know, it became... It was. I found it really fascinating. You know, they did their best to try and keep these people alive, the humans. Like, they had no idea what they were doing and ended up killing them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that really fascinating thinking about, you know, would we be any different, you know, with the capturing, you know, some, some being that, you know, crash landed on our planet or arrived on our planet, you know, keep it in a, in a, in a, in a lab somewhere and, and kill it with kindness, if you know what I mean. Um, that whole, that whole thing, I think, you know, was, were, were both, it was a seminal moment for both species, um, and was a triggering moment for change in both species. Um, again, on one, it was a, a stepping stone on the path to unification. On the other, it was a triggering point for the devolution of society. And so, you know, the Gilgamesh leaves, um, and by by virtue of the nature of of space travel, it's not you know gigantic ship isn't just going to slow down, turn around, and come back. You know they do the whole slingshot thing, or you know, um, you know it, it takes time. And over the course of that time, um, and in time, I suppose, in a, in a sense, is what both species have. The spiders generationally, um, and the humans in terms of their, their capacity for the use of the cryogenic, um, parts of the ship. But, you know, again, that whole, that whole thing was that seminal, I think that contact point initially was the seminal, moment for both species in terms of a trigger point for change. Um, and that change accelerated from that point on. Um, yeah, I, I, and it, and it coloured then completely their attitudes about what they were going to do. How were they going to deal with this? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a really important part of the story, um, and was just a, just another point on the path towards that final uh, climax, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I- it felt like he turned a twist into an essential part of the story. Then I can certainly see that. Mm. Um, hmm. Well, I'm trying to figure out what we haven't talked about. I mean, we've mentioned most of the characters. We we really haven't covered too much of the uh, of the crew and what goes on on the ship. Uh, I think one other. Wow. One other, I think, interesting thing, you know, you talked about the importance of the name, the Bryn. The Bryn 2 was the ship um, in the first part and is an homage mm-hmm. to David Bryn in, in his Uplift series. And the name of the generational ship is important as well, the Gilgamesh, you know, the oldest, yes. you know, one of the oldest recorded stories of our species, a story of a king yearning for immortality um, and and the the journey that he takes in trying to find immortality you know that that i think is a is a, a you know a, a very important aspect of this story as well which is pretty interesting because kern has a form of immortality and we see how well that suits her and it does not work um yeah but the the captain then tries to go for that same sort of immortality and since already people do not trust him because he tried to leave a bunch of them behind on the planet, or I'm sorry, on the moon, after discovering the spider planet, uh, and there's a rebellion and blah, blah, blah. And then, that, you know, with the yeah. lengths he goes to to maintain his immortality. Yeah, or to, to even start it, to, to learn about it. And he compromises the potential existence of all of mankind on that ship because at this point we don't know or we never find out 
during the story, whether or not any of the other ARC ships made it anywhere, or did they all blow up? We, we don't no know. Idea. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is an interesting thing. I think I, from memory, it's been a long time since I've read the Epic of Gilgamesh, but at the, end of, at the end of the Epic of Gilgamesh, he goes on this journey for immortality and realizes that that immortality is to be found in the things that one leaves behind. Not It's not something for a, one person. Um, you know, and he, the bronze walls of the city, I think he looks at and, you know, th- these are the things that I'll leave behind and that is immortality. Um and I think that is the story as well. You know, the lesson with Kern and the lesson with the captain in their yearning for immortality and their desire to maintain themselves, you know, to see it through to those things that they are, they are reaching towards something that is not for an individual. You know, immortality is, is, is for a species to, to attempt to attain through generations. It's not something that that belongs to or should be um you know yearned after by an individual that that way can be dangerous and and lead to the corruption and, and degradation and um you know all those negative negative connotations that come with that sort of the selfish drive to to do that right and with kern she has the i have ultimate power i've created this race i get to tell them what i want because i'm a god and they're doing what I'm asking of them. And then I think eventually um, her twisted and bent AI finds a lot more peace when she's interacting with the spiders, not as, you know, God above who's, you know, knows all, sees all, but as the, look, people, I'm a person. We created you for these reasons. Is a lot more honest with it. And then eventually when they sort of, you know, we're going to use you as a consultant and not as a source of all wisdom. Yeah. And they bring that, that it's a much, it becomes a much more enriching, a much better relationship for her, a much better relationship for them, you know, less ambiguity, less mystical mumbo jumbo and more, oh, okay, sure. You might know more than us because you've been around forever, but that doesn't mean you're a deity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think that comes down to that whole thing about that immortality as well. You know, that. Um, you know, I just found that really interesting that, you know, the name of the ship and the, the themes of immortality and the, the yearning for it that we see in both the captain of the Gilgamesh and in Kern, um, and the, 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 the negative, uh, things that, that, the drive and the, the, um, determination to do that wreaks on everyone around them. And so now that we're looking into the symbolism of the names, I look at what's her name, Kern, right? Dr. Kern. Mm. And you know what kerning is, right? Yeah. The space between letters. Yeah. In, in, so what she's trying to do is take out the space between generations of creatures to the point from where they are until they're sentient. And so she's literally kerning of the evolution process. I pulled that one out of nowhere right in a second because of you and the Gilgamesh. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you don't have to treat it seriously. Of Rana Kern. Yeah, I haven't yeah, I hadn't thought about the names of the characters specifically. I think the historian's Holstein, isn't it? Um, or Holston. Um, but yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> now I kind of wish I'd paid more attention to the other names of the characters, but 
not enough that I'm going to go and look them up while we're recording. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, we've been going on for the better part of an hour. I think we've covered a lot of good ground. So I would recommend this if if it sounds like the the minor bugaboos of sort of the disjointed storytelling uh, work for you, if what you're interested in seeing a sort of the world from an alien perspective, if what you want is sort of a generational look at science fiction, I think that The Children of Time has a lot to offer. And just don't look for a lot of clever banter, even though um, our classicist refers to the clever banter that the engineer gives him all the time. I don't see it (laughs) much. Um, But uh, there are some nice moments. And I listened to the audiobook. I didn't actually read the story. So it's entirely possible that that my issues translate less in the written word because there are some books that I read and it's, they, you know, this is pretty good. And then I listen to the audio book and I'm like, yep, Scalzi's a hack or whatever. Right. Yep. And it's not because the writing is bad, but it's because the, the pacing and the banter or the, whatever it is flows nicely on the page does not always read out loud. Well, and it's an interesting thing too. I think, you know, reading engages different parts of the brain than, than listening. Um, and whether that has an impact on how we experience a story, um, is perhaps something for another discussion with someone who knows what they're talking about. But that is true. All that is true. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this is a, this is a story which to me shouldn't work. You know what I mean? Like, um, the, the the protagonists that we identify with are spiders. The, and, and it's not spiders like as in there's this character of a spider that we identify with. It is um, every time they, you know, we, we have a chapter dealing with these characters, they are different to the last characters, that mm-hmm. um, the, the story of humanity is, is um, brought to us in snapshots and we get glimpses of the slow uh, degradation of, of, of the ship and of the society that inhabits it. Um, right. You know, all of these things, you know, to me, I think uh, you, if you put them on paper and say, I'm going to write a story and it's going to have all of these elements, you know, I think you, you, it's, it's, it's audacious to have undertaken telling this story in this way. Um, and for me, I just, you know, I, I found it to be a real, a real gem. I loved it. Right, right, right. I, I think a lot of it was helped, obviously, by his knowledge of spiders because... <laughs> Yeah, you know, his his fantasy series, The Children of the Apt, it's called, and, you know, um, each of the different species or or races or, you know, the fantasy groups within that setting are, you know, the the wasp kin and the the beetle kin and, you know, uh, so they all draw powers from different insects as well. And then he's written others, you know, Spider Light um, is another book that he's written, which is about spiders and... Um, Dogs of War is about, you know, um, engineered animals and, and so on. So it's, it's really fascinating. He, he really goes, you know, all over the place uh, and, and does it very, very well from, from all the books that I've read. Nice. Oh, well, so that's it. Oh, and I have one other quick note is I saw while I was prepping for the, you know, this recording that there's apparently going to be well of course i mentioned the second second in the series children of ruin out in may 
But there's also rumor of a movie from uh, Lionsgate that, uh, you know, hopefully that'll happen. That'll be interesting. You know, how do you trend that? That will be an interesting one because the visceral experience of, of a spider in terms of its visual component compared to what you can portray in a book and what the brain can easily forget about um, in a book. You know, it's easy when you're reading about these characters just to leave to one side all the things that one finds uncomfortable about spiders and, and enjoy, <laughs> you know. That's front and centre on a, on, a, on a screen. So maybe, yeah, that, that'll be really interesting if it does come to pass. Yep, yep, yep. No idea if it's still planned. Last news I saw was like back in... In 2017. Apparently, that was a big year for this book. Awesome. All right. Well, Josh, this was great. I had fun deconstructing a book as if I knew something about book deconstruction. Yeah, I hope, um, uh, (laughs) first of all, I hope people listening, that conversation made any sense at all. Um, Right. Number one. Well, if they read the book, it makes (laughs) a lot of sense. Uh, overall, uh, look, I, I really recommend it. If, we, if we're going to leave with recommendations, if you haven't read Children of Time, um, I, I read it and I and I, I really loved it. I thought it was a, a really, really interesting story, and there are a lot. It's an enjoyable read, and there are a whole lot of other you know messages and and uh, interesting things in there. I think to explore. Uh, yes, there's a lot of that. Also, I'd say that if you haven't read any of the David Brin stuff. That you know, read a couple of the uplift books because you'll get more of the the references. But at this point, the idea of sort of elevating pre-sentient species to sentience is sort of is sort of a trope, right? Sort of tropey in in science fiction. Um, but I recommend recommend it highly. If you let me know if you've listened to it and read it both, what you think the difference is, how you think it comes across. Um, am I being a little bit too uh, distracted if i can't you know follow the different storylines as easily as as one might want um but i just find the spider civilization fascinating i could have listened to a whole book on them or read one either one without without sort of oh look there's trappings of the humans at the beginning so we know why it matters to us and then at the very end the spaceship shows up and then they fade to black and the next book was the whole encounter with the humans yeah, it was right. really, it was cool. Yeah, I, I really like that that um, civilization as well. So all of my complaints are not to say don't read it; it's just be aware. Yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I liked it. Would read again. Probably, actually, uh, when we get down to the third or fourth series and uh, book in the series, because I'm hoping there's going to be more than just one. I'll probably restart it over and read them all again. That's what I tend to do is you get several books in and like, I need to go back to the beginning yeah, yeah. and see where all this came from. Yep. That's right. Or, Unless it's the 11th or, book in the, the wheel of time series, in which case you think oh, I should reread this. And then you look at the one bajillion pages of, of text that's come before it and think maybe I'll look at a summary somewhere online. <laughs> you say that, but I re-listened to all of the Dresden files books before we did our Dresden Files episode. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. Well, listening so, to it, I suppose, is one thing. I, I find, you know, I I don't read enough for what I would like, so I, I'd really struggle with that. Well, the reading, I I love to read, but I am so busy, and there are so many things that I am trying to do that I find it 
much easier to listen to books and to get my to get my listening in because I don't slow down enough to read and then when I do I fall asleep. Yeah, I see that's I, I should I should listen to more audiobooks. That's what I'm hearing. So what we're saying is Audible should sponsor the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually that'd be interesting is if we did a, a book every month, right? And we we talked about it. Hmm. That'd be cool. Uh, I'll talk to the, I'll see if I can't no, who am I kidding? We're not doing that. Um, <laughs> all right, Giles, where can you be found in the wilds of the internet? Yeah, uh, you can find me on my website, caradocpritchard.com, um, and you can find me on Twitter at caradocp. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me everywhere as Walsfio, and also occasionally I tweet as Onboard Games. So I'd like to thank you all for listening and staying through an hour of talk about spiders and stuff <laughs> and <laughs> you can head over to inversegenius.com and learn out more about the show and the people who create it as well as all of our other fine media we have onboard games on rpgs games in schools and libraries we also part of the inverse genius media group have the room escape divas and a couple of twitch streamers that you should go and check out that would be lynn theory and nephilope both have their own channels and now part of the inverse genius family is what is it? is it? Do you know who the new ones are? The Party Gamecast. The Party Gamecast featuring the Party Gamecast, the podcast about party games and games you take to parties. Woo! So we love all these folks. Uh, go and give them a listen. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Thank you.